Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Keep writing. Don't believe the hype. Keep growing. You know, the, 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 well, we talked years ago. You're like, hey, I'm like, if I came in sad from something, you're like, hey, buddy, it's a marathon. Not <laughs> a hundred yard dash. So that's what it is. This is a marathon, and it's great. Enjoy the process. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. It's me, Barry Katz. Again, thank you so much for all the feedback. It's really humbling to the people that have stopped me. When you do these podcasts, all you have is the numbers, and the numbers have been beyond my wildest dreams. But you don't know, like if there's millions of people that listen, you don't know who those people are. You have no idea. I'm sad to say that it sounds horrible, but you, the audience, are faceless, but you're a powerful, powerful group. And so the only time that you are not faceless or at least have some kind of knowledge of who you are is when you write to me or you send me an email or a tweet or feedback on the iTunes comment page or when I walk through a place like the Montreal Just for Last Festival and literally every single hour there's a different person who comes up to me who I don't know and shakes my hand and says thank you. It's hard to believe, but for me anyway, a woman came up to me, a wonderful woman, and I'm not going to mention her name because I don't know if she'd want me to, and she said, are you Barry? I said, yes. She said, I just want to thank you so much for the podcast. I've listened to all of them, some of them twice, and I decided to quit my job and go into producing comedy and in management, and in one short year I'm producing a show here at the festival. And then there was another person that came up to me last night who has a very, very prestigious job now on a huge, huge show. And he came up to me and he said, listen, before I did my test, I said to myself, I have to be undeniable. And I got that from what you told me. And it worked. And I got the gig. This is why I do this. But I thank you so much. But enough about this because I'm very excited today because I'm sitting across from somebody who is a big big, big part of my life. It's Keith Robinson. And as you know, I always look at my guests when they come here and I think about something I'm going to say. And I never know what I'm going to say. I love Keith Robinson. I have always loved Keith Robinson. And I want to share something with you. I love Keith Robinson just as much as an artist as I do a performer. He's always been a guy who, from the moment I met him, just unwavering happiness. I remember when I was a young boy watching baseball on a television that I had to turn the channels with a plier. (laughs) And 
There was a baseball player who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was a catcher. And he was always a guy who had a smile on his face. His name was Manny Sanguian. Never forget that. Always had a smile on his face. Always happy. And Just I, like Manny Sanguin, no one knows me either. <laughs> <laughs> Can you pick some more obscure people? So every time I met Keith, always happy. Now, you got to understand something. I don't know what it's like in every profession. I don't know what it's like at the firm or at the accounting office or at the shipping department of a major bookstore. All I know is the comedy business and this world that revolves around comedy that goes into everything from writing to performing to directing to so many different offshoots. But this is the world I started in. And in this world, there is a lot of darkness, an enormous amount of darkness. There are people who walk into a place and, as I like to say, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. They have this dark cloud that follows them like the Peanuts cartoon with the blanket and the cloud of dust around them. And no matter where they go, they stain you. It doesn't matter. You have one conversation with the person and you're just stained and you can't get it off of you. You remember the conversation. You remember the thing they said. But you can't help being around them because everywhere you go, there's only a few separate places in the comedy scene you can go. And they're always there. No matter where you go, they're there. And <laughs> they're the darkness. And Keith Robinson was always the light, which has always amazed me because I think he's had a very, very hard life. And a lot of things have gone wrong in his life, personally, and probably he might say professionally. And so... That's one of the things that always struck me. And I remember this story vividly because I used to manage Keith a while back. And I was a young manager and I was trying to make it. I had a comedy club. I made money there. But, you know, nothing that I was going to, like, buy an island. You know, maybe, you know, maybe if I made... $50,000 or $100,000 maybe at the comedy club over a year. It was a miracle. And then I just had the management business. And when you're living in New York, you can't get by. And I managed Keith, and I submitted him to a show called Star Search with Ed McMahon. <laughs> My favorite moment on Star Search, <laughs> other than Keith Robinson, was with Dave Chappelle. And you're probably saying, why would you ever put Dave Chappelle on Star Search? And this story will probably allude to why. So Dave's on Star Search. He wins the first one. And he's about to do the second one. And he says to me, hey, Barry, I got this joke I want to tell was a first joke. What do you think of this? And he whispers in my ear. And I'm like, wow, that's a great joke. Uh, let me just clear it with Gary Mann first and then see what he thinks about it. Because Gary Mann now at Comedy Central was at Star Search. And Gary says, oh, that's funny. Let me just clear it with the producer, Sam Riddle. And Sam Riddle was this, like, blonde guy who was older. He had his hair bleached blonde. He's probably, like, 70, but he looked like 50. And Ed McMahon starts to cue the director of the stage. Everybody applaud. Everybody's applauding. Ed McMahon's like, all right, this next young man is coming back for a second time on Star Search. He's originally from Washington, D.C. Please welcome. Stop the tape! Stop the tape! Sam Riddle's running down the aisle. Stop! Stop the tape! Cut! Cut! He runs down. He says, Dave, you can't do that joke. I'll let you repeat any joke you want. You just can't do it. I'm sorry. You can't do that joke. We're in Orlando, Dave, here. And uh, on the uh, on the on the uh, location of Disney World, we can't we can't have you do that. And Dave just smiled, like Keith Robinson said, <laughs> "No problem, man. We'll figure it out." And okay, I'll give you a few minutes. And Dave's like, "I got it. Don't worry, Barry." All of you are probably wondering what the joke was, and the joke was this: Good to be here in Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of black people here in Disney World. 
I saw only two black people today. And one of them was Mickey. <laughs> that was the joke they wouldn't let him do. But Dave won and went on. And as he was introduced by Ed McMahon, I realized the reason why Dave wanted to do Star Search. Ed says, I understand your grandmother is a big fan of the show. She loves the show. And Dave says, yes, Ed. She's always wanted me to do the show. This is the number one goal when I had to do the show for her. I mean, Ed, I don't know how to tell you this, but she owns a closet full of Alpo. She didn't even have a dog. Because <laughs> Ed used to hawk Alpo dog products. And so it was exciting to me the fact that Keith Robinson, who I managed, was doing star research. And I thought, God, this guy's got the kind of act to be able to win. Believe it or not, I never thought Dave Chappelle can win the show because it's a two minute and 20 second set. By the time Dave Chappelle says one sentence, it's two minutes and 20 seconds. He's a storyteller. But Keith had these things that these kind of jokes, he could tell stories, but he could tell these jokes that were tremendously powerful and a lot of them per minute. And Keith burned through this process and kept winning and winning and winning. And I'm thinking, oh, this is exciting. And then he wins his final set, and he's in the finals for $100,000. And I was very involved with Keith and the sets and how they were going, except for this last set. This last set, Keith had an idea of what he thought should go in the set. So Keith runs his set by me, and... It's fantastic, but there's a joke right up front that, you know, this is an all-white crowd. This is a conservative crowd. And Keith has a joke up front that's sort of like, it's phenomenal for New York City. A bone-crushing <laughs> joke. But for Disney World, not good. But I thought Al Sharpton was one of the judges, if I recollect. Yes, he was. And so I'm, only, I'm playing only, Al. Only one of the judges. <laughs> and there's I don't three, think he voted for me. Three judges. <laughs> He's like, the one time in his life he went against the brother. <laughs> so what happens is Al Sharpton is a judge. And Keith says, Al Sharpton's one of the judges. This is what I got to do. I got to appeal to the I'm like, there's three judges. You got to just go with what you can. You can win this 100000 it's like, no, I think I'm going to stick with this joke. And so Keith was up against a guy named Don McMillan. And if you're familiar with Don McMillan, large, large white man, kind of looked like a member of the Aryan race, <laughs> only bigger and stronger. <laughs> he was the guy in those old Budweiser commercials with a bullhorn. So Keith goes on and he does the joke. And the joke is, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm not good at remembering every word. I flew down here to Orlando, uh, you know, on the plane. A lot of white people on the plane. Um, I'm walking down the aisle of the plane, and a white woman grabs her pocketbook and clutches it towards her body like this. I'm thinking to myself, what does this woman think? I'm going to take her pocketbook. I'm going to run to the end of the plane, open up the hatch like D.B. Sweeney, and parachute out with her pocketbook. Yeah, that was a good one. That should have got me a hundred macaronis. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in that green room watching that, watching my $15,000 <laughs> slip away. So this is what happened right before he's going on. Don McMillan thought he was going to lose. So he goes to Keith and he says, listen, man, why don't we do this? We just write something on a napkin. Whatever happens, we both get $50,000. I'm there with him. I'm like thinking, God, this is exciting. What a nice thing. God, $7,500. He's still adding up the money. I'm looking at the bills. For those of you who don't know me, I've never really been about the money. If something happens, it happens. And you push towards something and you believe in something and the money comes. But I think back then... I was just under so much pressure to pay the bill. I had this office at 57th and Broadway, and I didn't know what to do and how to pay them. I thought, this is it. And Don comes in and offers him 50000 I'm saying, oh, this is so great. This is office. And Keith's like, no, thank you. I'm going to win this 100000 I'm going to get that 100000 I already talked to my family, told them what to get. 
put something on layaway. And so Don leaves, <laughs> and I literally go into the bathroom, and I sit on the toilet, and I put my head in my hands, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> Keith does the set. They announce the winner, Don McMillan. And Keith came back to the dressing room, and I'll never forget the look on his face was just as happy <laughs> as if he had won a hundred thousand dollars. And even though it stung and it hurt, and it was money that he lost that he could have won, it didn't seem to affect him. That's something that always impressed me about Keith Robinson. And when you are in a profession where there's a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different kinds of talents. You want to be the person around people that's happy. You want to be the person around people that makes them want you to be around them. And then you create relationships that are lifelong relationships. So when you look at Keith Robinson's career, there's a reason for certain things. On Tough Crowd on Comedy Central with Colin Quinn. Why do you think Keith Robinson was on the show probably more episodes than anybody else? It was an ensemble show. He was there because Colin Quinn, who happens to be a guy who could be argued has more darkness than light, loved Keith Robinson to be around. Not just loved his talent, but loved him to be around. When Wanda Sykes got her talk show on Fox, who did she call? She called Keith Robinson because she loved having Keith around because he always was happy in times of tough times and good times. And an artist like Wanda, where there's so much pressure on somebody's career, loved the fact that there was always going to be somebody there who was going to feel happy and make her feel happy. When Kevin Hart was doing his movie or wanted to produce a comedy special and spend his money, not anybody else's money, his money, reach into his pocket and take his money. Who got the call? He didn't produce a special with anybody else. He produced a special with one person, Keith Robinson, because Keith Robinson makes him feel good, makes him feel happy, because no matter how happy Kevin Hart looks, Anybody who tells you that money makes you happy never had any to begin with. And so that's why Keith Robinson and all these people have this kind of bond. And they'll have relationships until the end of time. So my lesson today, if there is a lesson, is the fact that if you can just stay positive, no matter what happens, and every time you go out and every time you're around your coworkers or the people around you, you can be the best representation of yourself. They'll always want to be around you. They'll always want to have you in their life. And as they rise, you will rise. And as you rise, you'll all rise together and you'll all rally around each other and you'll all be successful. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. All right, let's do a little six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name or somebody, and you tell me something, a story, something that comes to mind about that person. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, that's the one. All right, Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes, my best buddy, my best friend. I love her to death. Awesome. You know, we, we, we remain friends for 26, 27 years, still solid as ever. And that's rare. To be right on the same, she's just amazing. Louis C.K. Love him. Funny as hell, creative. Uh, he's going to be the next dude with the films and all that, like in a Woody Allen sense. He has his own twist on everything. But, you know, Louis is an amazing dude. Chris Rock. Not, well, you mentioned all the amazing guys. Chris is a, a genius. 
Chris is a genius, man. He's constantly figuring out what what's next and where, where does it fit in at and how to, the angles. His thing is angles. Chris has amazing angles on every situation. You know, that's what makes him better than most most of the folks. Dave Attell. Dave Attell, another, Jesus Christ, Dave is an amazing guy, but he's more rapid fire. But his jokes are just well-written, unbelievable. And, you know, he's another amazing dude. Hey, these are, they're all amazing comics. Colin Quinn. That's my favorite. Out of everybody, Colin's my favorite. I love Colin because Colin has what I call a full game. You know, he brings everything to the, like if it was basketball, he brings everything, how to lay up a jump shot. I mean, he can't dunk for real, <laughs> but Colin has so many different things to talk about. Colin can get into the pain of his life, the political, the social, every angle that, that you can talk about. Colin does everything, you know. Jay Moore. Jay Moore. I love Jay. Jay Jay's a rough rider. <laughs> Jay's like a, a rapper, you know, like uh, Marky, Mark, Marky Mark and a funky bunch. He just has that vibe about him. But Jay it hangs in there, and he's just funny. You know, Jay, I find Jay very funny. And honestly, Jay say whatever. <laughs> he's crazy. He's a wild card. Jay is a, is, a, is a wild card. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. always loved Jim. Jim Brewer, you know, with you, you know, of course, met Jim with you. Uh, Jim, uh, Jim has always been funny as hell. What is just, me and Jim laugh? I've never laughed with anybody as much as I've laughed personally with uh, Jim Brewer. I mean, we in tears laughing. So that that for the one of the most amazing laughs through life, it was Jim Brewer. Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer, love her. She's she, she's got such an upside to her. That's the great thing about Amy is that she's not even halfway finished. She's like her up her arc is so big because I'm watching her grow. I'm watching how she's grown and her continual uh maturation when she's she's gonna be a beast if she keeps the work on comedically. And her acting is Jesus Christ, she was phenomenal in her movie. She was just like, Jesus, her acting is so good. I'm like, wow. And 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 to see her write a movie, and I was watching when she was writing the movie and putting it together, and to see it come out like that, and to see it come, and to see how what the finished product was, that is a very focused, hard working woman. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. That's my young fella. You know, that's my young fella. That's a young kid that I picked out, picked him and Jay uh, Okerson out, Big Jay, and um, brought him to New York. And I've been through a lot with he. I put a lot of energy into stupid those two dummies, and so so bad to where we had he had a birthday when he had a birthday, and we they got him drunk and I drove him home and I didn't know he had peed in my seat, <laughs> and at this time my son was two three years old came running and put his face right in the pee, and if his mother would have knew. That that wet spot in the chair was Kevin's piss. She would have, <laughs> she would have beat me and Kev after death. <laughs> Judd Apatow, a genius. You know this guy's. Uh, you know, anybody's a humble genius. Well, you wouldn't. You don't look at Judd and go, "He's a genius." You know what I mean? You look at Judd and go, eh, "Who's this guy?" And but you then you see the work that he puts in how he does stuff, and it's amazing. Judd, he, yeah, he's an amazing dude. The late Patrice O'Neill. That was my man. You know that that Patrice was so many different things for me. He's almost like my little brother, almost to be honest with you. And uh, to just watch him grow, and we just we we connected on a different level other than just comedy. And I and I got to see Patrice. A lot of people thought Patrice was this mean dude that just busted chops. He's one of the sweetest dudes I know. You know, like when my mom passed away, he must he called me so much. I'm like, enough, man, stop calling me. So I see Patrice as a, as a guy who was he was headed. To, I think he's a genius. You know, I think Patrice was closer to Richard Pryor and and Chappelle and all those guys. He was, you know, his thing was. Was was that because he 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 had a lot to give, a lot. Tell us one great story about Patrice O'Neill that our audience wouldn't know. Uh, well, the, the the funniest story for me that still makes me laugh 
is I mean, of course, there's a lot, but it's a Montreal. Let's relate this to Montreal. Okay. They said, we, you know, he was in Montreal, and a comic, John Priest, had his headshots, his 8 by 10 John Priest was a former boxer. Yeah. He <laughs> was a wiry kind of guy who had this way about him that he was so funny, but he was kind of like a guy who you felt like got a little too many blows to the head. <laughs> But he had a wonderful energy. Right. Absolutely. Brilliant energy. Good. He had a good energy. That's what makes his story funnier. So John Priest had his brilliant energy, had his headshots in his hand. This is around all the, you know, the agents and managers. Everybody's there looking at Patrice. Like, oh, let me see those headshots. <laughs> and dumb, dumb John Priest handed him the headshots. And Patrice shredded them right in front of his face. <laughs> John Priest was so hurt. He <laughs> <laughs> he always had tears in his eyes. He wanted to punch him. He didn't know what to do. <laughs> but he had all his headshots and miles neatly ready to pass out, I guess. And trees let me see it up. <laughs> and, then, and threw him off his shoulder. Oh, my God. Wow, that made me happy. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And just tell us one more story about Patrice that might be, you know, more of a side of him that people don't know. That people don't know? Well, I mean, you know. I mean, the fact that he called you every day. I remember when you said that, and it's sort of, again, I know this sounds odd, but I, I, I'm, you can see me. I'm actually tearing up a little bit, getting emotional, <laughs> because I think about a moment in the Magic Johnson Larry Bird documentary where Magic talks about how Larry just hated him. He couldn't compete and be friends with anybody. So Magic was always happy-go-lucky like you, but Bird always had the game face on and Magic would try to shake his hand and Bird would never shake his hand. Everywhere they went, never talked to him. And then they did a McDonald's commercial and... They wanted to shoot in L.A., and Larry said, I'm not shooting in L.A. If you want me, you shoot it in my backyard at my basketball court in French Lick, Indiana. Right. And again, they're doing the commercial. He's not giving Magic anything, no love, nothing. And there's a lunch break, and Magic's walking away, and all of a sudden he hears Larry say, where are you going? And Magic's like, I'm, I'm going to lunch. No, you're not. You're coming to my house. My mom made some lunch for you come on <laughs> and that was the first time he ever gave anything and he thought okay well this is great now we'll go back to the court we'll be friends nothing <laughs> but the main thing i wanted to say was when magic johnson found out he had aids the first call he got at his house he picks it up it's larry bird whatever you want pal whatever it is i'll do what anything you want i'll go there i'll do anything for you you need and I remember that documentary seeing Magic crying, saying, you really know who your friends are when the chips are down. Right. Absolutely. And you found out who you're. Yeah. Patrice was 100 percent. You know, we I love Patrice. And I know he loved me. And, you know, we go through our times. We didn't speak. We didn't speak for a, a minute. And then he called me up. You know, I was like, hey, I know uh, I have a, I'm having a cookout. I'm like, ah, fuck your cookout. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard from you. Beat it. You know, he's like, come on, man. I'm like, ah, beat it. I'm not coming to your cookout. So another year passes by, and he calls me again. Hey, look. Look, I know I haven't called you the way I should, but please, man, you, you got to come to this cookout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> but, but, you know, he was just a, a good dude. That's what... My major thing with Patrice, a lot of people are like, he's an asshole, he did this, he did No, he was a very, very good dude, a, 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 and a kind heart, and a, a lovingness about him that you can feel, you know, for, you know, I, I you, know, you people look at the hard exterior or whatever they felt was the hard exterior, but I just thought that he had so much in him that was just a, a downright good person. One of the greatest feelings in the world to anybody listening is there's those people that you're not talking to in your life that you just don't want to talk to or you have this riff with and it's been so long you can't even remember if it's something you did or something they right. did but you're just not talking to them 
the greatest thing in the world that'll make you feel like a million bucks is when you see them from across the room. You know they see you, but you don't really do anything. Just walk right up to them and hug them and tell them you love them and you miss them. Right. And it's the greatest feeling But it's the, the greatest feeling because when you, you know, I've always told you, look, I love you to death, but you're bugging me now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's no different than my brother's. <laughs> you know, my actual, you know, we, you know, we get on each other's nerves. My brother Darrell had, had, he was the master of annoying me. If you have a brother, you know that he, my brother was the war. I annoy people. I know how to do what my brother was, my, that guy that annoyed me. He would have a, a bowl of cereal. We're sitting in the living room, our kitchen eating or whatever it was, and he'd get right in my air with the cereal and just going to slop it up like, yum, 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 yum. I'm like, Mom, huh? She said, he's not touching you. But he's saying, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> but he knew how to get to me, you know what I mean? And But we still, you know, we go through our periods where we don't speak. It was the same as Patrice. I could annoy the, the hell out of Patrice. But we knew where we stood at with each other, so it never mattered. And, you know. To know that you where you stand with a person is more important than I he know I loved him and I know he loved me. So we you know, we go at it, you know, and, and uh we we had uh we went to the you know, we did a lot together. Me and Patrice did a lot a lot together. You know, so he he was good. And you saw him, of course, before he passed away. Yeah, we had a big cookout. As a matter of fact, we had a big dinner in LA. Me, him, and Ian Edwards had a nice dinner in L.A. Ian Edwards is an incredibly yeah. talented comedian, writer, a great voice in comedy. Right. So we had that. And, you know, we just was, and he called me up. Matter of fact, he called me up. He said, hi, what are they saying at the barbershop about my, because that's what it is. When you, when you do something good, you want to know what the barbershop is talking, how they feel about it. The black barbershop. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, the white one, Barry. I go, <laughs> I go. <laughs> <laughs> if the barber shot somebody would he take his barber chair with him <laughs> now would he take the barber stuff with him no um, just the razors <laughs> somebody get my barber stuff I still have to cut so there's a regular barber shop that you guys go to in LA no the, when I Barry how, Jesus Barry no in every barber shop around you want when I say barber shop I'm talking about generalization the big you know the bigger picture when black barber shops around the world have your bootleg DVD on there, <laughs> on that TV, it's good. It's almost having being barbershop approved. It's almost I think it's better than having an Oscar or an Emmy and any of that. It's just the, the, the people love you. You know, I remember being in Los Angeles, coming back from the clubs at like two o'clock in the morning with Chappelle to the Le Dufay Hotel, and. I said, are you all set for your set tomorrow? He was doing some kind of set on television. He's like, oh, man, what time do I have to get there? Oh, this one's an early one. You got to get there at like 1130. Oh, man, we, we got we to go to a barber shop right now, Barry. I'm like, Dave, it's, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. There's no hair cutting place. Yes, there are, Barry. <laughs> I'm like, Dave, what hair place is open at 2 o'clock in the morning? Black barbershops, Barry. You can always find them. <laughs> and we drove down the Melrose and we found a black barbershop that was open like two thirty in the morning. That's amazing. Yeah, there's just a lot. I got my first. I got it. My first L.A. haircut at a barbershop, and I'm, I'm. It was so funny. The barber had one guy in his chair and he's cutting the guy, but he was getting frustrated with the guy because he's like, "Yo, you have too much grease in your hair, man. I'm not cutting your hair no more. Get out of here." And he threw the guy out. And the guy's like, I'm going to come back here. I'm going to smoke your ass. And he ran out the door. And the barber's like, ah, he's full of crap. Come on. You want your cut? I'm like, I'm not getting He just said he's going to come back and shoot you. You think I'm going to get his shape up now? I'm in the line of fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was my L.A. experience. <laughs> Did you get the haircut? No, I got out of there. You think I'm going to sit there and get a nice, comfortable cut? Did you take anything of your possessions <laughs> no, with you? or you just <laughs> leave. <laughs> oh, Barry. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. This guy, I think, is like, you know, I said project adjacent, prior adjacent. I can call Chappelle prior adjacent. He just has it all. 
He's just, this dude is so funny that you, you know, I remember Barkley said something about Jordan. He's like, uh, finally had to get to the to the point where I said he's just better than me. That's Chappelle. <laughs> you go, because uh, you know you you like I'll get him. Don't worry, I can. Uh, he's better. He's better than most. He's just better. Chappelle is just better, and he does it with such ease. You know what I mean? He's just he, he's that dude. I saw him the other night, and I hope he doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but I spent a lot of time with him, and about an hour, and it was beautiful. But he just goes on stage, and it's just tremendous to me. He says, listen, uh, I'm up here. Um, you know, I got my money. And uh, you look at this show, it's sort of like uh, Evil Knievel. You know, I'm, I'm going to make an attempt. And, uh, you know, if it works, it works. If it fails, it fails. But I still got... Got my money. <laughs> I just something about that. that. It just made, and the crowd's going crazy, and I'm sure like a half of them don't even know who Evil Knievel is. Right, right. <laughs> but they just love the joke. Anyway, your proudest moment in show business. My proudest. You know what? The I, I went the best time I had. My um, what? My proudest moment in show business going back to the projects and performing. I, I we want me. Uh, Will Sylvans, I think it was Ian, Rich Voss. We all want that. I had them all go to the project. And Donnell Rollins. And Will Sylvans and Donnell Rollins and Rich Voss, all very talented yes. comedians. And I had, we went to the projects, Tasker Projects, where project adjacent to where I used to live, and we performed in a community center. That was my proudest moment. Everybody was just like there. The whole neighborhood was packed. Like Keith is back, and you know it was it was a good thing. Wow, your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to get to the next level. My biggest disappointment was my sweet booing at Showtime at the Apollo. Oh, that still hurts. I'm mean, I think I'm gonna cry. Can I get it? No, <laughs> I was there that night. Well, you didn't want to, oh my God, everybody was there. Now, this was one of the funniest booings in the history of television because yeah. something happened. Didn't the host come back out over and over well, again? Sinbad was the host. That son of a bitch you told me how to dress for uh, Star Search. <laughs> but this was the now, first time you'd done it? No, the first time I did it you killed. was, I was with there that Mariah Carey. That's right. Mariah Carey, boom. I'm, that was, she was just starting out. And I, it was great. I was, I was feeling myself. And then they're like, hey. We want Keith to come do it again. I remember that. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. They want me back. You train for the Apollo. You don't just go back to the Apollo. You got to go like a boxer, run, punch through water. You don't just go right back. Now, will you tell our audience, because a lot of them don't understand the way the audience of the Apollo is. So we explain. <sighs> it's a rough audience. That's all you need to know. The Showtime at the Apollo audience is a rough audience. It's like, just, a, you know, it up, up like... Up top, the very top, it's a lot of people right from the, the just the dregs. They're the, they're the hoodest of the hood. And uh, I don't know if they know understand that. Uh, they're just rough riders. They real, you know, they they, they, they come to boo. They take, uh, what's that stuff for your throat to help clear your throat up so you can, uh, chlorets, just so that boo won't be impeded. They like a nice boo and they want their throat cleared so they can boo, <clears throat> boo. So they. <laughs> so what you're saying is they're not from the project adjacent area. They're from the project. They're from <laughs> those the project. Guys, oh, those guys are absolutely from the they're project. They're from Midtown Project. <laughs> yeah. <they're... laughs> okay. So, but, you know, with Mariah Carey, I guess she had a, you know, nice, sweet voice and da da da. So I'm like, yeah, and it was a better audience. And, you know, my mom was in the audience, too, so maybe that helped. Because my mom was looking at people like, you better not boo my son. <laughs> she so, had the gun underneath her seat. Think, yeah. <laughs> there was no metal detector. Listen, sure. baby, let's take a paper bag and the microphone. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so, I, you know, I finished with Mariah Carey's show. Boom. So maybe three weeks, uh, a month later, I'm on again. And this time I'm on with Chubb Rock. Now, Chubb Rock sang the song, Treat Him Right. Now, it was one of the hottest songs back then. You know, it was 1990, Chubb and the place is just bumping and jumping. And I, and, 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 and as soon as I get off, Sinbad didn't give me no time. The floor is still jumping when he introduces me. So he's like, ladies and gentlemen, 
Put your hands together from Philadelphia. Keith, now in the audience is LL Cool J, Mike Tyson, Heavy D. Every black important person is in that damn audience. So I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. And I go out there and Flex Alexander, and I already keep saying he was already Fuqua and said he wasn't involved. But they, they like, they said from Philadelphia, they like, fuck Philly. Who said fuck Philly? Flex Alexander. He one was of in the, the crowd? Yeah, he was in the crowd. Now, Flex, so you don't know, he's a comedian, an actor, and been around a long time. Yeah. And he's actually a guy who I always thought of as a nice, kind, genteel kind of guy. <laughs> the fact that he yelled out, fuck Philly, <laughs> shocks me. <laughs> well, that was his, it was 1990. So, uh, 91, whatever it was. So, <laughs> I go on and now I'm already rattled. And I tell a joke and it didn't go. You know, you have to, you, you've been on stage. Once you, a joke don't go, you, you dry up. Your lips just dry up. They got stuck together for some reason. And I'm like, mm, I couldn't, I couldn't. And there's this old woman, I call her Grandma, Grandma Apollo, that's right there ready to boo you. And she start going, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm starting to panic. And all I hear I think you told me this, or somebody told me, if you if it goes wrong, goes south, just uh, sabotage it. Curse, spit, pee on the floor, whatever you do, don't let them air it. And I'm like, but I'm so arrogant and angry, so I'm like, nah. I normally say that after if, and this is a very unique philosophy of mine, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but normally 90 seconds in, if it's not going well, if you're a comic and you're doing one of these shows, it's better to sabotage it at that point. If you've already done it and done well before, they have a record of you doing well. And this way, they won't air it if you do something like that, if you don't give them enough time. Or you just say, thank you, good night, and you get off at like 90 seconds, they won't air it. And then you'll get another shot at it. But normally, comedians have the mindset, I can make this work, I can win. And that's what you had. That's what I said. I'm, I'm not young. I ain't getting me out of here. No. And Sinbad came out with boxing gloves, gave me a massage. No, but wait a second. Sinbad, this is what, it was the most amazing booing ever. And tell me <laughs> if I'm remembering this correctly. So about two minutes in, he's getting booed. Sinbad walks out. He stands next to Keith and he says to the crowd, which people never do, please, this guy killed on the show before. He's funny. Just give him a shot. Let's have a round of applause for Keith Robinson. Keith starts again, does the routine, gets booed again. Sinbad comes out again two minutes later, starts massaging his back and saying, come on, everybody, this guy is funny. Trust me, he's really funny. Another minute and a half, two minutes, booing. Sinbad comes out with boxing gloves. <laughs> and the boxing gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tried again. It was Stop over. It. But it was the funniest booing ever. It was the one time a comedian got booed on the Apollo where I really felt it was the most positive <laughs> set for a guy who got booed ever. And even Mike Tyson was laughing. Those people were laughing because it was just a funny thing. They knew well, you they were, were laughing at my pain. <laughs> but they knew you were funny. Right. They just knew it wasn't going well that It way. wasn't going well at all. But the thing about it Did you it see is, them afterwards? Yeah, I seen everybody. What did Mike Tyson everybody. say to you? They just, you just looking, hey, man. <laughs> but Mike was crazy Mike then. He had a little Z in his head. Oh, he's cra- normal Mike now. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And um, so- Glad you know, your I, mom didn't shoot him on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, with the Apollo, you know, I thought I did enough for him not to show it. And uh, six months passed by, and I'm in, in Baltimore, never forget it, and um, with a girl, and my cousin Phil calls, <sighs> laughing on a phone, on a, on a hotel phone. I mean, a hard laugh. <sighs> Turn the Apollo on right now. You're being booed. And the girl heard it. She's like, what? Turn it on. I'm like, oh, no, nah, I don't know. She, no, she turns it on, and I'm being booed. And... <laughs> I'm getting a good one. And this bitch left me after seeing me get booed. At <laughs> She's like, oh, I got, I'm, I got a headache. Something, she came over with a headache. She she got her stuff and left. <laughs> wow, you didn't even get the two pumps in. No, I didn't get the two pumps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my You know, but God. I honestly feel that that set, 
even though she left you, I thought that that was a positive set. And I thought that actually, believe it or not, I thought that helped your career. Well, it, it, you know what? It helped me. It helped me <laughs> not to do the Apollo unless you're completely prepared. And it helped me in the fact that, uh, you know, it, it, it's just like you got you get over it. And that's when, like, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was, I forget, I'm forgetting the years. But I know I, when I went to the to Star Search, which was a great experience, you know, I loved Star Search. And, it, you know, just have, you just keep getting up. You keep moving. That's a blast the, the biggest lesson because when that when the Apollo shows in the neighborhood, everybody in the neighborhood was watched it, you know. So being project adjacent and everybody looking, yo, Keith, what happened? Have <laughs> you seen what happened? <laughs> I got booed. <laughs> the hell, you mean what happened? And you know, so you you, you just keep it moving. Now you've seen so many people in this business mm -hmm. go on to do great stand up and film and television and specials and executive produce things. What advice do you have for the young comedian who's coming up in the business or anybody coming up in the business to have a long and phenomenally great career like the careers of the people that you've seen around you, including your own? All right, you got to keep, keep it moving. Keep writing. Don't believe the hype. Keep growing. You know, the, 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 well, we talked years ago. You're like, hey, I'm like, I came in sad from something. You're like, hey, buddy, it's a marathon. <laughs> and not a hundred yard dash not a hundred yard dash so that's what it is this is a marathon and it's great enjoy the process that's my biggest thing for me that i've always enjoyed the process and i i gotta laugh that's what i started out doing from 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 uh elementary on up i've always laughed bust chops have fun i'm having fun so people see me smiling like oh you still yeah i'm still smiling why not you see me not smiling it's over <laughs> that's how you know it's over so i think all these young guys coming up enjoy the process don't get caught up in your hype because it goes up and down and, and you know it can get study for a while but we know what it is there's some bad times going to come so enjoy your process enjoy this being in montreal that was a great day you get me you get me to montreal was that was special you know so yeah enjoy that damn process all them out and out your new faces that's who you are but you, those new faces are going to turn to old faces <laughs> and still enjoy it the same way because it's still good. I still enjoy Montreal. How long ago was that? 21 years, 21 years ago. And I'm still enjoying Montreal with my man, Barry Katz. That's what you do. Enjoy it. All right, Keith. I've really, really enjoyed this. This has been amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming by. Thanks. I man. really appreciate it. <laughs> I hope you had fun. Absolutely, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. 
along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson. They'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.